Hey, when you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about those out-of-pocket costs. Now, that could be a lot of money, but are your medical bills accurate? Now, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills actually contain errors. Now, HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, or fraud. Now, you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, to date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Check them out online, healthlock.com. Go there today. Joe Biden wants you taxed to the brink under the thumb of the IRS, and controlled with a digital dollar. That's why thousands of hardworking patriotic Americans are opting out by diversifying their savings with the top-rated precious metals company, GoldCo. Right now, GoldCo is offering up to $10,000 in bonus silver, but only while supplies last, so don't wait. Go to HannityGold.com to learn how to get started today. That's HannityGold.com. Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, of now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. Now, as you plan your summer travel, make sure that your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Now, you can get unlimited talk and text, plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile for the exact same service. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, make the switch today. Save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Hey, it's National Make-A-Will Month, and LegalZoom.com makes taking care of your will or trust easier than ever with advice from independent attorneys now available in 48 states and no expensive hourly fees because LegalZoom.com is not a law firm. Just enter Hannity1 at checkout for special savings now only at LegalZoom.com. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. All right, happy, what day is today? Thursday, glad you're with us. Write down our toll-free telephone number. It's, well, all these days go together. I know we're 82 days out of the election. That, I know, that is in my head. And and that matters probably more than anything else that I'm going to tell you today. Because And let me tell you another thing here. I want to get into this because I'm I'm reading and I'm watching and I'm observing and there's a lot written about how, well, all these people are in denial. All those Trump people, they don't believe the polls. Well, there's a poll out today where you have Clinton 44 and Trump 43.4 and Rasmussen and Zogby, two very well-respected pollsters, both have it as a, a two-point race and... I fully understand, and I, I won't sit here and, and deny the other polls that have Hillary ahead, and you've got a general election economist, YouGov poll, Clinton plus six, and she's winning in Colorado in a Quinnipiac poll, and in Iowa, she's up three, and let's see, Virginia, she's up 12, and Indiana, Trump's up 11, and Michigan, she's plus 10. I'm not, I'm not denying polls. I tried to explain this to the ever-so-loved Democratic pollster, Nate Silver. I mean, not that he knows who I am. I'm sure he probably does. But he's got a he actually wrote a good. Well, somebody on his website wrote a good piece. His name is Harry Enton. I don't know who he is. But one of the things I do like research and I do like to hear and study research and in tab out of tab and, and all of these things. I've I've studied ratings my entire life. Let me take you back and tell you a story. So I'm a local host in Atlanta. I guess the year is 1992, 
And I was on our competitor station. I'm on the big station now, number one in the market, News Talk WSP. But there was a competitor station at the time, what Neil Bortz refers to as the ex-wife. So my ex-wife there or my ex-wife in New York, meaning a station I used to be on, but I changed stations, which, by the way, is fairly common and frequent, a fairly common and frequent thing that happens in radio. I love the fact that other stations want me. The bigger, better station wants me. I'm very happy that we're on WSB and, and uh, WOR in New York. So I'm really, really happy about all those things. But anyway, so over the course of years, I have read research from my audience about me. Now, I'll give you an example. Eric Sluggo Seidel was my program director. I was doing a local radio show in Huntsville, Alabama. This was, I guess, in 1990. I'm now in my 30th year in my radio career. Let's put it that way. I'm now finishing my 20th year at Fox. So this is old hat to me. Anyway, so my first year, I, I ended up auditioning two days for Sluggo. And I, I must have done well in the audition. I got a job offer. It doubled my salary. I was at $19,000 a year. Well, more than double my salary. And I think I was paid $48,000 a year when I went to Atlanta. And I went there, and the ratings the first year were extraordinarily strong. Neil Bortz had moved to, to WSP, and he had changed his time slot. He used to be on from 9 to noon, and then he was going up against Rush, which was on that station that I was on at the time. Now Rush is on WSP with me. Anyway, so, you know, and then Neil eventually, I was going on vacation one day. And Neil Bortz says, uh, goes on the air, and he goes, Hannity, I know you're listening. I'm like, how the heck does he know I'm listening? He goes, uh, I want you to know your phone's going to ring any minute. I said, what are you talking about? My phone's going to ring. And he goes, you're going to get a call from your program director, Eric Seidel, and he's going to tell you not to go on vacation but to come back. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Then he announces, while I'm on vacation, he's going back to his old time slot, and we're going to go head-to-head with each other. You know, this is a great radio story. And the fact that we ended up being really best friends is an incredible testament, I guess, to both of us. We'd even talk to each other while we were on the air in commercial breaks. And people didn't know that at the time. There were three ratings books in a row, and this is just a fact, where we both had a 12.5 share, which is massive, in men 2554 alone. That meant one in four men in Atlanta were listening to either him or me at the same time. I mean, it was a war. This was a classic, real, old-fashioned, bare-knuckle, radio, brawl, blood sport. We wanted to kill each other, but we still liked each other. I respected Neil a lot, learned a lot from him. I'll digress one more, t- one more second here. I remember one day that Neil Bortz was coming in early in the morning. I'm driving in, and I tune into Scott Slade, who's our morning guy on WSB. And it was 6.15 or 6.12 in the morning. And I'm still driving to work. Neil Bortz not only was there, he had already prepared his entire day's show. And I'm still driving to work. And I learned from that moment forward, I got to work harder. I got to dig deeper. And then the best part was, is what Neil didn't know is I'd be listening at 6.12 every day. He'd give away his entire show. And I would say, all right. If he's going to be talking about this topic, I'll try and book the guest for this topic and make it more relevant and real. And we ended up, because he didn't do a lot of guests. And then one day, it was right after the O.J. Simpson case verdict came in. He mentions Robert Shapiro's in town. And I got Robert Shapiro coming up at 10, and I'm like, oh, 
Ah, I hate being outbooked. I'm very competitive. Anyway, so I'm flipping around the radio dial, and there's another competitor station. It was 99X. It was like the alternative music station, and I was best friends with their morning guys at the time. They're really cool guys. One April's Fool, I went and did their morning show, and then they did my conservative show, and I said, this is the all-new Morning X, and we're going to have you take the chastity pledge, and you promised never to have sex till you get married. Their audience went nuts. And then they did my show, 9 to noon that, at that time, and they said, uh, we want to marry gay people on the air. Just, you know, because it was a conservative audience. I mean, the, the radio market exploded, so we did some fun stuff. It was pretty cool. Anyway, so he mentions that Shapiro's going to be there. And so I said, uh, I, I, then I hear Shapiro on the Morning X. So I call over to my friends, and I say, uh, is, is, is Shapiro's person there? Can I talk to that person? And Bortz announced Shapiro's on at 10. I'm like, would you be able to do my show at 9 if you happen to be available? I'd love to have you. They say yes. I'm like, yes, 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 yes. I was so psyched. So this is how evil I was. This is how horrible I was. I get Shapiro in my studio. He's there at 9 o'clock, about 10 minutes to 10. Now, his radio station's right down the street from my radio station. I said, you know, I have so many more questions. Is there any chance you can stay beyond 10 o'clock? Oh, yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah. And he said yes. And then he goes to the woman, and this woman knows exactly what I'm doing. She goes, he goes, tell the next person that I'm going to be a little late. I keep them to like 1045. All right. So then he heads over to Neil's show. Now, Neil, years later, gives me the story. He ran out in the parking lot. He dressed him down, cursed him out, and it was like, get out of here. He was really pissed off because Neil knew exactly that I knew exactly what I was doing. And anyway, long story short, it was a friendly, competitive radio war. No, he didn't go on Neil. Neil was too pissed off to have him walk in the studio. He met him in the parking lot. It was great. Um, and then Shapiro realized later, and I'm best friends with Shapiro now. I, he has a great foundation in memory of his son. I love Robert Shapiro. He's also with Legal Zoom. He's one of our partners. He's such a good guy, such a great attorney, so smart, such a decent human being. Anyway, and we've laughed, all of us, at this story in you know, years gone by. Anyway, so I'm, I'm telling you all this story. One, one thing that I did in Atlanta is they used to do research on the radio station. And... Anyway, one day I get called into Sluggo's office, and he goes, uh, I think the audience really likes you, but they think you're too harsh. Now, I used to, remember, this is the genteel South. I grew up listening to Bob Grant in New York. Hey, uh, listen, you creep. Get off my phone. Go gargle with razor blades. You know, it just, and I loved it. And I also listened to Barry Farber. Barry was the great intellectual you know, these, you don't know, these guys were the great pioneers of, of talk radio. The years I lived in Rhode Island, I'd turn on WRKO, and, and you had guys like Jerry Williams, who's passed away, and Gene Burns, and these were fantastic pioneers. Barry Gray was on this station in New York. I'm on WOR. Anyway, so they would not share with me. I figured out what he was trying to tell me, and actually, it said at the end, you may want to reconsider Sean Hannity, meaning the research said... Yeah, he's rating well, but he's grading on people. And what I did is the most relevant research that I did in my life is I went and I actually read the verbatim comments 
of people about me and my show at that time. And I learned right then and there that people, and this is, no, this is a good thing. People are brutally truthful and honest. And I read it. I took the book. I stole it. I brought it home. I read it cover to cover. I snuck back in and put it right back where I'd stolen it from and returned, the, returned it, returned to the scene of the crime. But the, my point is, I began to realize that if you listen to your audience, they're shouting at you what they like and don't like about you. And to this day, I still get comments from all of you about this show and about my TV show. And when I when when something resonates as true and wrong that a mistake that I'm making, I make that mistake. I, I I would try to fix that mistake. And lo and behold, I think for me now there's most radio hosts I don't think can handle research. I really don't think they can. And I don't know what other hosts do. And so, so I just I want to hear feedback from you, my audience, what you like, what you don't like, and. You know, Frank Luntz does these dial groups on presidential candidates. I get dials during segments, et cetera. And I have no idea why I started out talking about this. What was what was my original point? Um, and, you know, so the whole issue of Donald Trump, it was, I was relating this to the presidential election. You know, I think there's things that Donald Trump can learn from an audience. Last night, I think, you know, this was a pretty powerful moment last night when I had Donald Trump at the town hall in Milwaukee and we had victims of terror and victims of Benghazi, and they were telling their stories, and Trump was taking it all in, and I was watching him, watching him at the time, and I felt that they really connected with him. And then at another point, I said to the audience, I said, Mr. Trump, I said, everywhere I go, people know that I know you and that I interview you, and I had been at a party last Thursday, and I believe it or not, a Sweet 16 party where they had adults in one room and kids in the other room, Every single person at that party said to me, you got to tell them to shut up. You got to tell them to stay focused, stay focused on Hillary and Obama. And then I brought that up. Did you see the reaction when I brought that up last night on the show? I said, this is what people are telling me. Will you do that in the next 82 days? The crowd went nuts saying, yeah, we kind of agree with that. And, you know, I think this week is by far the best week that Donald Trump has had in the campaign. He gave the speech on ISIS on Monday. He gave, and by the way, it was his idea to do the speech on the trouble in Milwaukee because he was going to be there with me anyway on Tuesday. I thought he did a great job at the town hall, and I happen to know a few plans that they have coming up. I'm, I'm, I can't tell you because we have people in this business that do what I did to Bortz and try and steal my ideas, and I can't telegraph something that big that we're doing next week, but it's going to be really big. Not a little big. It's really big. And I just think that there's certain things that you can do. Now, I know that there's all these people. You know, if you break this election down, it's what I told you yesterday. Who do you want to pick your Supreme Court justices? Who do you want to decide what we should do with refugees. Either they'll come in and we won't listen to our intelligence officials and ISIS will infiltrate, or we could set up a safe zone like Trump wants. You got to decide who you think is going to appoint the best Supreme Court justices for generations, who's better on the Second Amendment, Hillary or or Trump. You know, do you want a president that says radical Islam or is too cowardly to say it? Do you think Trump or 
or Hillary's going to be better on health care and Obamacare now that Aetna and United and Blue Cross are pulling out everywhere. You know, who do you think is going to be better? Hillary's going to raise taxes $1.3 trillion and spend $1.4 trillion more. You've heard Trump's plan. He's going to cut taxes, allow multinational corporations to bring back trillions. He's going to allow energy independence, and Hillary's going to fire uh, coal workers and coal miners and, and put out of business coal mining companies. You know, who do you think is going to be better on education? She's beholden to the NEA and Common Core, top-down education. Trump wants to send it back to states and municipalities and towns. You know, who do you think is going to be better on the wall? Hillary's open borders. Trump wants to, for economic and national security reasons, defend our nation against those that don't respect our laws and sovereignty. That's what the election is about. That's it. Not more complicated than that. I'm not going to change saying that for the next 82 days. And then the choice is going to be yours. If Donald Trump, and this is why I blame all of these never Trumpers. If Donald Trump just consolidated the base of the Republican Party, he wins this election. But then you've got all these presidential candidates that are sabotaging him. They break their promise. Then you got all the arrogant elite, quote, big establishment Republicans that are sabotaging him. And that's why. I'll blame them, because if the base of the Republican Party was consolidated, he'd be the next president. And they're doing everything they can do to harm him. All right, we'll get back. We'll get to your calls as well. Maybe we should call Neil Bortz. That'd be fun. I love Neil Bortz. He's a buddy of mine. He was at my birthday party in in December. We had a great time. And uh, we're praying for Donna, too. She wasn't feeling well, but she's doing a lot better, I hear. Thank God. He didn't even tell me. I'm like, really? I have to hear from Clark Howard? You can't tell me yourself. I'm like one of your best friends. What's up with that? I didn't want to scare you. I'm like, oh, good grief. It's National Make-A-Will Month, so it's time to check an important item off that to-do list, that honey-do list at LegalZoom.com. Hey, spending a few minutes right now on your will or trust, that means that you can enjoy a worry-free summer filled with family vacations and barbecues. Now, you don't want government making decisions on important matters like finances or your kids. LegalZoom.com, they make it easy. They're not a law firm, so you don't have to take time out of your day for office visits or pay expensive hourly rates. Instead, you get flat rate pricing and can save over $100 with LegalZoom's will or trust estate plan bundles. Now, if you don't know whether a will or trust is right for you, let not your heart be troubled. You're going to work with an independent attorney now available in 48 states. They can answer your questions and recommend the estate plan that fits your specific needs. Now, save money today. Do the right thing during National Make-A-Will Month at LegalZoom.com. Don't forget, enter Hannity1 in the referral box when you check out, and you'll save even more. So spend time with your family this summer. Let LegalZoom.com take care of the legal stuff. That's LegalZoom.com. LegalZoom.com. And, uh, so Sluggo's listening now, and he wants a copy of the first. I only got to hear half of it. I want to hear the whole. You know what he, was, he said after that research came in? I was a diamond in the rough. I'm like, oh, great. Thanks a lot. So he still to this day writes me, you're still a diamond in the rough. Uh, and the funny thing is, I'm also friends with Mosheri, Bugsy, better known on WSB. And uh, the fun part about that is I'm friends with both of them. They were bitter rivals and enemies. I mean, yeah, when we beat Neil Bortz in a rating one book, they actually put together, well, Neil won like all the old people. So we put together denture cream 
you know, at one point, I think they, I had nothing to do with this. Somebody sent Mosheri a dead fish when he arrived in town. I swear to God, it was a brutal radio war. This was, uh, yeah, it might have been Stanger. I don't know. Maybe, I think it was Sluggo. I don't know. I don't know who. But they've since become friends. I think I, I played a part in reconciling these guys. I don't think Bortz and, and Sluggo ever got over the denture cream thing and the Depends and everything else they sent them. It was horrible. I mean, it was a... It was a bare-knuckles bloody brawl. Now, I remembered my original point, which I started out with, which was, all right, so Nate Silver is suggesting, and he wrote in a tweet that, oh, guys like Hannity are ignoring the polls. I'm not at all. I'm looking at the polls realistically. Right now, the real clear politics average, I don't know if they've updated it yet today, had Hillary Clinton by six. And I I think it's a little less than that because of For example, the L.A. Times tracking poll today has Clinton 44.0 and Trump down 0.6 at 43.4. Rasmussen and Zogby both have this as a two-point race. Swing states now favor Clinton, but well, we also have another poll just came out. Hillary's lead over Donald Trump, according to Pew Research, is a four-point race that includes the Libertarian Gary Johnson, Green Party candidate Jill Stein. By the way, voting for either one of them, sorry. A waste of vote. You're wasting your time. And we have Gateway Pundit has a piece out today, which is two days after his big speech about urban issues. A new Donald Trump poll showing he's doing better with African-Americans than the last 10 presidential nominees. I don't know what to make of that. But anyway, Donald Trump is surging with African-American voters. And I'm going to tell you, you know, who has been so disproportionately impacted by these bad economic policies since Obama's been president. Is a 58% increase of black Americans on food stamps. That is outrageous. A 20% increase in black Americans not participating in the labor force. And Donald Trump is saying, we're going to build a wall because all those people, illegal immigrants coming across the border, they represent cheap labor. They're competing with 95 million Americans out of the labor force. And that means fewer Americans are getting those jobs. And if they get the jobs, Well, the illegal immigrants are driving down wages because you have more people competing for them. It's simple supply and demand dictates the price. It's economics 101. So anyway, Gateway Pundit points out they broke out the latest L.A. Times daybreak poll. And in the last 10 presidential election cycles, the highest share of the black vote for a Republican was 12 percent. That was for Bob Dole, who lost handily in 96. And in this poll, Trump has 14.6 percent. By the way, Donald Trump said, are these policies working for you in the black community, in the Hispanic community? No, they're not. So to answer Nate Silver's claim, no, Nate, just the opposite. I'm actually fascinated by data. I'm a believer in research. I listen to it. I've listened to it since my earliest days in Atlanta. I listen to my customers because my audience, they're my customers, and i got to serve them. And if they're screaming at me, they don't like something about this show, and I don't do better serving them, then I'm an idiot. And so I pay attention. Anyway, they actually have at 538, they put a lot of thought into it. Uh, there's, there's certain ways, for example, they have their polls only forecast, and that would give Hillary Clinton an 88% chance of winning. Now, just a few weeks ago, after the Republican convention, 538, Nate Silver's website, had Trump at a 58% chance of winning. And as I've been explaining, polls are a snapshot. It's just like you take a a family photo album. It's a snapshot, a moment in time. And with 82 days to go, 
that snapshot every day likely is going to change. And I'm still of the belief that the defining moment in this campaign may not have even occurred yet, and none of us know that. You have three big debates. They probably, in spite of going up against football, will be the most watched debates in history, I think, with Donald Trump being in them. I know there's a lot of interest in this campaign. I do think there's a little bit of merit that there might be a small percentage of voters out there that will never admit publicly that they're going to vote for Donald Trump and people have a general distrust. I do believe historical polling of making phone calls to landlines is becoming somewhat obsolete. There is a little truth, I think, that maybe Republican enthusiasm is not being counted in some of these polls. I'm looking at Intab's percentage of Democrats polled versus Republicans. But, Nate Silver, you you must have gotten me confused with somebody else. I actually believe in research. I believe in polls. I look at the aggregate of them, and I think the aggregate, you know, look at every single poll, and you have outlier polls that, you know, show Clinton up by 15. That's not right. You know, or other polls that maybe show whatever. So, um, anyway, but the... You know, this guy, what's his name? Harry Enton, who writes this column at 538, says a lot of Democrats are starting to talk about this election being over and that no candidate since 1952 who was leading at this point in the election cycle a few weeks after the conventions has lost the popular vote. Well, uh, I would beg to differ with that because I think Jimmy Carter had a lead going into October. If my mind serves, if my memory serves me well. Um. You know, and a lot's being made. I guess Michael Cohn was on a show, and he said, what polls? And like, he's like, every poll, every poll. All right, well, all right so let's see what it is. Uh, I see that Rick Perry has opened up a nine-point lead over Ted Cruz if he wants to challenge Ted Cruz in the 2018 Senate race. I don't think, I wonder if that would ever happen. That's pretty interesting. That just came out via Texas Tribune, and Gateway Pundit had it. So to answer is, I, I think that if I'm talking to the Trump people, I'm saying, yeah, believe the polls. I think absolutely believe it and act and fight as though you're down and fight as though you're behind and work on your ground game. Do your debate prep. I would make a strict rule on social media. No more mistakes. No more picking fights with Mr. Khan or The New York Times or or Mr. Judge Curiel or any of these other distractions. I would focus on. What Trump has done this week to me is the secret sauce formula, sort of like Kentucky Fried Chicken, or original recipe, which is my favorite. Love original recipe. Nobody knows what the recipe is. Apparently, it's vaulted away somewhere. But anyway, I love I love that recipe, and I liked what I've seen in Trump this week. And by far, since the convention, it's been his best week, and the formula is simple. Identify how bad the Obama-Clinton policies are. He did it Monday on ISIS. He did it Tuesday on the criminal justice system and how economically, how educationally, how black communities have suffered as a result of their policies and then offer what your alternative solutions are to make this country a better place. Now, when he does that, I think he increases dramatically the odds that he can win. And then you compare and contrast, as I have been saying since, what, 2014, actually started it in 2013. Conservative solutions to solve America's problems. We need originalist Supreme Court justices that believe in separation of powers, co-equal branches of government. Hillary won't give you that. Trump has promised to. We need to rebuild our dilapidated military. Trump has promised to do it. Hillary would never do it. 
I think we need the wall. We want to help those out of the labor force and every demographic, including the black community, which has suffered disproportionately. You secure the borders. Competition for those jobs will be far less. And that means wages will go up as well. Wages will go up for you. And it's also good for national security. So ISIS can't cross that border or Al Qaeda can't cross that border. I also think that energy independence, I think you're talking about millions of high-paying jobs that would be created. Hillary wants to put coal miners out of work, coal companies out of business. Trump will expand coal mining. He'll expand fracking. He'll expand drilling. He'll even move forward with nuclear technology, and he'll move forward with other technologies. That's what he's told me in every interview. I also think when you look at the Trump plan to cut taxes and rein in spending, he's told me numerous times he likes the penny plan, reduce the size of government. If he does what he says, he allows multinational corporations to bring the trillions, not millions, not billions, trillions parked overseas because they can't bring it back here without a massive penalty. Give him a one-time pass. Let him bring it back for 2%. Well, number one, we'll get the money, and then they'll build factories and manufacturing centers here, and, and they can build them in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan and Baltimore, and we can literally bring these cities, these once great cities, back to life. I think negotiating better trade deals is a good idea. I think replacing Obamacare with free market competition, portability job to job, allow for pre-existing conditions, that would be great for everybody. I think I want a president that can say radical Islam. Hillary can't say it. And I think Hillary certainly has indicated she doesn't really care about your Second Amendment rights. I love that the Clinton campaign is going nuclear, according to Politico, over all the reports questioning whether she's healthy or not. This is great. I wonder what that pipsqueak Brian Stelter is going to do. You know, Mr. Unreliable Liberal Media Matters Sources. You know what this guy does? He's a stenographer for Jeff Zucker, who runs CNN. That's all he does. Is he going to go after poor Dr. Drew? He's in the CNN family. I'll get into this later today. Anyway, so Politico points out Hillary Clinton's campaign is pushing back harder against allegations about her health amid Multiple, quote, deranged conspiracy theories, as one top aide put it earlier this week, as Donald Trump continues to stoke doubts about the Democratic nominee's mental and physical stamina. Speaking to Fox News' Sean Hannity at a recent town hall event in Wisconsin, uh, Trump said of Clinton, she really she doesn't really do that much. She'll give a speech on a teleprompter, then disappear. I don't know if she goes home, goes to sleep. I think she sleeps, Trump said to me. Anyway, Breitbart had a good article. It said Hillary says she couldn't even get up after an exhausting convention. By the end of those two weeks, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know that I can get up, let alone what I'll do if I'm vertical. Jennifer Palmari denounced this as being deranged conspiracy theories. There's a headline in, uh, I think it was on The Blaze, Clinton camp unloads on Trump and Hannity for pushing deranged conspiracy theories. Well, now poor Dr. Drew is, I'm sure Brian Stelter is going to get the memo from Jeff Zucker because he's his stenographer to go after Dr. Drew. We'll get to that later today, too. We have a House panel pushing uh, uh, to press the FBI on perjury charges for Hillary. We're going to get into a lot of this later in the program. One other thing here. A couple of stories, I think, illustrate why there's so much mistrust towards politics and our governing institutions, you know, we were lied to by our government, by the Obama administration, and by the president of the United States again. 
There's no way to interpret the latest developments, the $400 million ransom that they paid. Uh, The payment was made the very same day the hostages were released. We have the one hostage that say they had to wait for the plane to land before they could leave. Obama's repeatedly said it wasn't ransom. State Department has said it, too. But the party line was a lie. A new story in the Journal by Jay Solomon and Carol Lee offer new details of the $400 million payment. The picture emerged from accounts of U.S. officials. Others briefed at the operation. They wouldn't let Iranians take control of the money until a Swiss Air Force plane carrying three freed Americans departed from Tehran. Once that happened, an Iranian cargo plane was allowed to bring the cash home from a Geneva airport that day. Our top priority was getting the Americans home, said a U.S. official. Once the Americans were wheels up, Iranian officials in Geneva were allowed to take custody of the money and currency. So they did pay ransom. Well, shocker. I mean, we've been lied to. We also learned a lot about Hillary lying again, too. You know, we have Ed Klein on today. He actually thinks that there is a a an investigation that is going on. The U.S. Uh, attorney for the Southern District of New York launching an investigation into whether Hillary is guilty of public corruption using her office as Secretary of State to enrich the Clinton Foundation. Those judicial watch, the nearly 300 emails they came out with last week, we chronicled all of that for you. Yeah, when... When you have Clinton Foundation donors, they get access to the Clintons, and then the Clintons work on their behalf, and they end up getting the rights to cut down every tree in Columbia. I would say that's a quid pro quo, and that's selling access. And that's, uh, you know, that's only one of numerous examples where they have done this. Anyway, so I know there are some stubborn. We got Steve King coming on today. He was a big supporter of, of Ted Cruz. He's now behind Donald Trump. Glad to see that. I hope some of his colleagues, including those former presidential candidates, I'm still mad. I Look, I'm sorry, Jeb Bush, you made a promise you should keep it. I'm sorry, Lindsey Graham. I don't expect much from you, but you made a promise you should keep it. John Kasich, you made a promise you should have kept it. Ted Cruz, I still love you. You should have kept your promise. And I think that this open sabotage, you know, if Donald Trump, if it, this is something I'd like Nate Silva to look into. One of the problems that Trump is having with the polls is he can't consolidate the base. And that's because he's being sabotaged literally by all of these people. That's a problem in this campaign. So that's why I say if you're a never Trumper, you're at more than a half a vote for Hillary and that you'll own Hillary's policies. And I will hold you accountable and name you by name. You say, Hannity, you're responsible. I was responsible for giving airtime to every candidate Uh, Excuse me, I didn't even vote in the Republican primary because I'm a registered conservative. I couldn't vote. So good luck to you. I was fair to every candidate. Let them talk. Gave them space. Brought up the issues of the day. I don't feel no ways tired. I come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me that the road would be easy. This vast right-wing conspiracy that has been conspiring against my husband since the day he announced for president. Well, you have to be a little bit crazy to run for president. I think I'm probably the most transparent person in public life. Words about me will continue to fill many archives and warehouses across the world.
throw anything away. I, I'm like two steps short of a hoarder. Um, Are you keeping a, a diary? Are you keeping good notes of what's happening? Heavens, to you? no! It gets subpoenaed. I can't write anything down. <laughs> the fact is, we had four dead Americans. Was it because of a protest, or was it because of guys out for a walk one night who decided they'd go kill some Americans? What difference at this point does it make? Go to the end of the line. Okay. <laughs> Why don't you go to the end of the line? If, if you, you have no reason to remember, but we came out of the White House not only dead broke, but in debt. I remember landing under sniper fire. There was supposed to be some kind of a greeting ceremony at the airport, but instead we just ran with our heads down to get into the vehicles. No, that's what I said when I was sleep deprived. You can read my book and I said something very different. And that means we gotta be kinder. Wait, you want me to tell you what my husband thinks? My husband is not the Secretary of State, I am. And we have to be more compassionate and empathetic and put our mindful, thank you. If you ask my opinion, I will tell you my opinion. I'm not going to be channeling my husband. Even here at home, we have to stand up for women's rights and reject efforts to marginalize any one of us. Don't you someday want to see a woman president of the United States of America? new beginnings another new hairstyle a new email account i am sick and tired of people who say that if you debate and you disagree with this administration somehow you're not patriotic and we should stand up and say we are americans and we have a right to debate and disagree with any administration <laughs> Hillary Clinton. You know, I got to tell you, there's articles out today. This is pretty amazing. And this happened. Remember, I even said after Barack Obama, Hussein Obama was elected as fierce an opponent and doing more research background on him than I think anybody else in the media. Now, you know, it is a good thing. I thought it would be a good thing to have a black American president in terms of race relations. Boy, did I turn out to be wrong, considering we're more divided than we've ever been. Could you imagine there is a, an Atlantic article today? And this is what it says. The headline of the Atlantic. This is the Atlantic. The era of, quote, the bitch is coming. Hillary Clinton presidential victory promises to usher in a new age of public misogyny. Wow. And just like, I guess, anybody that was critical of Obama must be racist. Anybody that's critical of Hillary and doesn't want Hillary to be president because she's a woman. No, I, I'm all for Maggie Thatcher. My daughter can be president one day. You know what? Not her because of her policies, her fail, her failures, her enriching herself, her obsession with not telling the truth. Anyway, Ed Klein is with us. He wrote the best-selling book, Unlikable, The Problem with Hillary Clinton. And uh, I understand you have some news to break today that you've been doing some investigative work. And apparently you believe that there's still a chance that Hillary might get indicted. I do. Sean, great to be with you again, of course. I have a new book coming out called Guilty as Sin, which is pre-orderable. By the way, aren't you offended by The Atlantic the way I am, the, the headline oh, they're I using? 
Of course I am. And could you imagine if a Republican, a conservative ever said anything as offensive as that? Well, can you? Yeah, it would be on the front page of The New York Times the next yeah, day. But conservatives wouldn't say anything like that. But and by the way, and the, the implication is, oh, if you oppose Hillary, you're a misogynist. You know, that's a lot of hooey, as uh, our vice president would say. Here's here's what I think is happening, Sean. Right now, Preet Bharara, who is the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York and one of the most crusading U.S. attorneys in America, has been working alongside the FBI, along with two other U.S. attorneys, one in Little Rock and another in Washington, D.C., investigating Hillary Clinton's connection to the Clinton Foundation when she was Secretary of State. This investigation is, I would say, hotter than ever. And I think that Comey, James Comey, the director of the FBI, who flamed out and and failed to do what he should have done in the first place, which was indict her for the emails, may try to redeem himself now with the public corruption charge that Hillary was dealing in pay-to-play with the Clinton Foundation. Wow. So you think that this is... Now, look, there is a story out today. Tell me if this is interconnected here. Hillary Clinton, on January 5th, 2009, signed an agreement promising to avoid any conflict of interest with the Clinton Foundation. Now, her document that she signed states the following, quote, for the duration of my appointment as secretary, if I am confirmed, and she wrote this, as I understand it, on on secretary, I'm sorry, on Senate letterhead, I will not participate personally or substantively in any particular matter involving specific parties in which the William J. Clinton Foundation or the Clinton Global Initiative is a party of or represents a party. Now, Judicial Watch released these new emails last week. And in fact, these emails from the State Department, which were supposed to have been turned over ages ago, point out many conflicts of interest created by Hillary's actions as Secretary of State, her dealings with the Clinton Foundation and Global Initiative. You know, one of them, for example, Doug Band, who works for the Clinton Global Initiative, and he, I guess, is in charge of it, pressing Uma Abedin and Cheryl Mills to secure a connection at the State Department for a Nigerian billionaire, this guy Gilbert uh, Shagari, who is a major donor of the Clinton Foundation. Anyway, in the email exchange, uh, Abedin states it's Jeff Feltman. I'm sure he knows him. I'll talk to Jeff, referring to the ambassador of Lebanon. He wanted to meet this this former ambassador from Lebanon. Ban responded, better if you call him, now preferable. This is important. He's awake, I'm sure. And there are numerous instances where people, rich people, donating to the Clinton Foundation got the access. And in one case, one guy got the contracts to, I guess, rape and pillage the the forests of Colombia because of a connection that was made through Secretary of State Clinton. This is all true. Every word you just said is true. And I've reported a lot of it myself. And indeed, that letter of understanding that she signed before she became Secretary of State also said that Bill Clinton would not give speeches to in, far, in foreign lands, to foreign governments, to foreign businessmen, because it would be an obvious conflict of interest with his wife, who is Secretary of State. And, of course, as we well know, among the many speeches he did give abroad, he went to Moscow after we sold 20 percent of our uranium production facility here in the United States to Russia, and he got $500,000 for one speech. So, the, the you know, the Clintons are so corrupt 
to say that not wanting them, not wanting her in the White House has something to do with misogyny is absurd, utterly absurd. Well, I, I, so what do you think? Tell us what you know is happening. I want you to dig as deep as you can go here and tell us everything you know that's going on. Now, come on. Uh, don't, I, and I don't want you holding back. Just come on. Just come out with it, Ed. <clears throat> what I do know is that uh, Preet Bharara, the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, and James Comey, the FBI director, are not only associates, because they're both associated with the Justice Department, but they're good friends. They see each other when they're in each other's cities, New York and Washington, D.C., their wives, uh, and they have dinner together. And Comey has been in touch with Barrara for now for months on the subject of Hillary Clinton's public corruption with the Clinton Foundation while she was Secretary of State. And Barrara has now lined up several witnesses, at least one of whom used to work for the Clinton Foundation, and he is digging into this big time. I think that we ha- we are long way from Hillary Clinton sliding into the White House without having some real serious legal problems before this election. Well, I, you, so you think this is all going to happen, and apparently— well, I'm, I'm what, hoping it's going to happen, yes. Yeah. All right, so you're saying that this United States attorney for the Southern District of New York has launched an investigation. You have confirmed that. Absolutely confirm that, yes. And it's whether she's guilty of public corruption, having used her office as Secretary of State to enrich the Clinton Foundation. Precisely. And these emails that I refer to seem to corroborate all of that, in fact, did happen. Well, you know, there's a difference between being—you and I know that she did what you just said, which is use her office to uh, enrich the Clinton Foundation. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Everybody knows that. What Ferrara's got to prove and the FBI has got to prove that they have absolute um, evidence of a quid pro quo, meaning, as you well know, that she did X and the Clinton Foundation got Y as a result of what she did for a foreign government, foreign businessman. Now, that's going to be hard to prove, but uh, I think uh, that's uh, what they're trying to prove. And your sources are telling you that witnesses were said to be willing to testify that that's right. this was a quid pro quo, in other words, that she sold access to her office. Well, that's what that's my understanding from my sourcing. Now, I've also spoken to three other people who were in the State Department while Hillary was there and who worked very closely with her and saw her deal with the Clinton Foundation business and actually saw Clinton Foundation stationary and Clinton Global Initiative stationary on her conference table in her office. They actually overheard her talking on the phone to a donor. All of this is in my well, that would be pro- that, that would be provable, and we could get the phone records, but with the Clintons, you don't get anything. What do well, you know right. about this prosecutor? What do you know about this this person that you're talking about, this U.S. attorney, Preet? Well, he it's very interesting. He, he was appointed by Obama, but he has put the Democratic Speaker of the New York State House in prison. So he seems to be one of the great fearless prosecutors like Rudy Giuliani was. Although in Preet Bharara's case, he's actually had better luck getting not only inciting people, but actually uh, sending them to prison and having his his results held up by courts of law. So this is a tough, tough guy, Preet Bharara. All right, Preet, but, but I'm told, like, for example, everyone told me before Comey did his 13 and a half minutes, oh, my God, he's going to indict her, and then backing yeah. off. You mm-hmm. know, what are your FBI right. people? say about pre Barrara and for example you know 
everybody that I know told me, oh, James Comey, straight shooter. He lays out a case for indictment, says she's lied pathetically, and then ended up not offering a criminal referral. So why are you confident Preet will do what Comey wouldn't do? Those are very good questions, Sean, and I agree with you entirely. You can't be confident about this. You, You only can say, here's a guy who has a fantastic record of sending people to jail. Whether he's going to do it with Hillary, who the heck knows? You're right about Comey. We all thought that he was uh, the Elliot Ness well, of our time. What do you Turned make of... Be, uh, yeah. Well, I'll bleep that, but <laughs> I, I think people will get get what you mean. But the Clinton Foundation hired the cyber firm now because they suspect that would be hacky. Wouldn't all that information probably be in there? In where? In the computers at the Clinton Foundation, if they haven't already cleaned them all out? If they haven't already cleaned them out. I mean, knowing the Clintons, who the heck knows what they've done with the, their um, I, their their computers and their, their records. Uh, I'm sure that they have probably sanitized them as best they can. But if you have people who were there, witnesses who actually can prove or testify in a court of law that they were a witness to a quid pro quo. That, I mean, that goes a long way. I'm not predicting this is going to happen. All I'm saying is that the heat is on right now. Whether or not it's going to flame into a real serious law case, who knows? I mean, will pre do the right thing? I hope so. Yeah. But, I, but as you just said, we thought Comey was going to do the right thing, and he didn't. I just can't believe The Atlantic writes this column about her. Oh, if you disagree with Hillary, you're a critic of Hillary. Uh, oh, you're, it's, you're guilty of misogyny. And they use the B word. Oh, the era of the bitch is coming. Can you imagine any conservative saying that something that offensive? Uh, no, I can't, uh, obviously. But, you know, the, the self-righteous left wing uh, always hurls these invectives at us on the conservative side because they think that they're purer than the driven snow. But, you know, we know that that's not true. All right, Ed Klein, thank you. Look forward to your new book. 800-941-SEAN, you want to be a part of this extravaganza. Congressman Steve King of Iowa is with us. Uh, I saw him out on the campaign trail quite a bit. He was supporting uh, Senator Ted Cruz. And unlike a lot of weak and timid Republicans out there, he is now uh, supporting Donald Trump and enthusiastically, I understand it. True? That that is. I've I've come a long ways on the enthusiastic scale. I've got a little ways to go with full of Florida enthusiasm. But I will say this, that the speech that Trump gave on acceptance night on that Thursday in Cleveland uh, nearly everything that he laid out could be the agenda for the first 100 days of a Trump administration. And I, I like the agenda he laid out. I like the foreign policy speech he gave a few days ago. And I like what he had to say to our inner cities and the rule of law and opportunities in inner cities. All of that makes me feel real good about what we can accomplish as a nation under a Trump presidency. You know, here's my my argument to anybody. And, you know, everyone says, well, Hannity, you elected him. Well, you were there for the interviews that I gave Ted Cruz. You were there for many of them. Was I fair mm-hmm. to Ted, was I fair to Senator Cruz? Well, of course you were. And, and, and I think that, you know, you always are in that, in that fashion, Sean. And there's a lot of the, a lot that Ted Cruz brought to the table that is actually looks to me like it's incorporated up into the Trump agenda these days. And I'm happy to see that happen. We always need to do what's right for America. And I'm, you know, I'm the, uh, the national co-chair of Cruz for president campaign. I think he has a lot of political potential ahead of him. I agree with you. I listen, I do my only disappointment. I like Ted a lot. I love when Ted did his filibuster. I praised him many, many times for that. But the way I handled those primary interviews, uh, Congressman, was it was pretty simple. I'd go over health care and I'd go over immigration and I'd go over Supreme Court justices and I'd go over education and energy and 
and Obamacare, and I'd say, all right, well, where do you stand on these? And then I had this habit that I did to every candidate. I actually let them expand on their thought process so people could get to know them better. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I uh, I didn't endorse anybody during the campaign, and I said I would let the voters decide, and the voters decided in record numbers. Here's what this campaign is about for me. Who's going to be better on picking Supreme Court justices? You've seen the list that Trump laid out. Who do you think is better, Hillary or Trump? There was no question. It's, it's Trump, and the only way you save the Constitution is to elect Trump. Yeah. Who do you think is better, Hillary Clinton's open borders or Trump building the wall? Which would you prefer? I'd say Trump in consultation with Jeff Sessions and Steve King. Okay, I think that that's a great idea. But you support building a wall. You have for years. I have, and, and, mm-hmm. and I would build a fancy wall and a fence so we end up with two no-man's lands, one on either side of that wall, so we can enforce the law more effectively. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'd let Donald Trump worry about the beautiful part. I'd take care of the engineering. What about energy independence? Hillary has said she wants coal miners to lose their jobs and coal mining companies to go out of business. In many an interview with me, Donald Trump said he wants to expand coal mining, expand drilling and fracking and nuclear technology and other technologies. Who's better for energy independence, Trump or Hillary? Well, there there is no question. It, it is Trump, and he will carry West Virginia. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I would add to that the Keystone XL pipeline would be built. Uh-huh. Now, I want to ask this. Who do you think would be better? Trump said education is better sent back to local towns, cities, municipalities, and states. Hillary, beholden to the NEA, Common Core, is going to continue to have a top-down approach for education. Which policy is better, Trump's or, or Hillary's? Well, certainly the local control as opposed to the national curriculum that would be imposed upon us and the bathroom policy mm-hmm. from the White House. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Okay. <laughs> Who is going to be better? Trump is pledging to rebuild our dilapidated military. I've not heard the same from Hillary. Who do you think would be better on building up our military? There's no question it'll be Trump. And Hillary's been wrong on every foreign policy turn of the Arab Spring for five years. And even when it came to the Egyptians taking their country back, the Obama administration, Hillary complicit in that, uh, decided they wanted to oppose the will of the people of Egypt and stick with the Muslim Brotherhood Mm -hmm. Morsi. So it's Trump on that all the way, plus his foreign policy speech on defeating the ideology of radical Islamic terrorism that came on Monday of this week. Mm -hmm. So, well, that raises the next question. Do you want a president that can actually say the words radical Islam, or do you want a president that is weak and timid and afraid to say those words? I I think it's Trump over Hillary. Now, but also I think you have to look at Hillary's foreign policy record. I mean, she began the negotiations with Iran that gave him $150 billion, and and she was dealing with uh, Adolf Jr. Ahmadinejad, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, and she doesn't like to say the words radical Islam. So on the issue of battling evil in our time, who's better, Hillary or Trump? Well, at this point, it's certainly not Hillary. And uh, we think it'll be Trump, although his, his foreign policy actions have been limited, of course, because he's been in the private sector. But I think the policy that he lays down is, is much stronger. And I would say this also, that of the, you know, of the people that are skeptical about some of this, I don't know how far Trump would go in working with Putin. But I have long said that we have a common enemy, and there are things we can do to defeat radical Islamic jihad and working in cooperation with the Russians. They're under more attack from from Islam than we are here in the United States. So I think that component of it is pretty much a new piece in foreign policy that is a plus for us, provided that we don't, uh, uh, let's say, embrace embrace the Russians too closely in other areas. 
All right, let me ask you this, because now so far you're with Donald Trump on every issue. Hillary Clinton's going to raise taxes by $1.3 trillion, increase spending $1.4 trillion. Who would be, and we know Trump says he wants to cut taxes. And by the way, over 50% of Americans will pay no income taxes under Trump's plan. Who do you think would be better at cutting taxes and reducing the size of government? Well, Hillary has no plan to do anything except raise taxes and grow government. And Trump has a policy that will grow the, grow the economy and has a shot at reducing the size of government. I would say, objectively speaking, to see a balanced budget under Donald Trump, under the best-case scenario that we can paint forward, probably doesn't happen in the first term, but it's something that one could perhaps accomplish in the second term. With Hillary, it's growing debt and deficit as far mm-hmm. as the eye can see. And I would like to see a balanced budget amendment to our Constitution, Who do you, I'm not sure. Yeah. Who do you prefer on the issue of Obamacare? Uh, Hillary seems to praise it. Now we have Aetna and United and Blue Cross and other big companies. Uh, insurance costs per family on average across the country are up $4,100 since Obama's been president. Uh, Donald Trump has talked about competition, portability, pre-existing conditions, health care savings accounts. Who's better on health care, Obama, I'm sorry, Hillary or Trump? Well, I remember I still have Hillary's flowchart from back in 93 when she became the guru of health care. And uh, that scared the living daylights out of me. Obamacare scares me more. And the repeal of Obamacare, which would happen under Trump, is something that I have invested a lot of my time in. And I don't, I don't think there's anybody in Congress that has uttered the words Obamacare, let alone derogatorily, more than I have. That would be a matter of the matter of record. All right. So then, that. who so, would be who would be better on on refugees? Hillary wants a 550 percent increase in refugees, yeah. even though our top intelligence officials say that ISIS will infiltrate that population. Trump says we should set up safe zones for the victims of the civil war in Syria. What's the better policy? Oh, the better policy is the international safe zones. That are, that are dedicated for protection by some of the neighbors, like the Kurds would protect an international safe zone for the Assyrian Christians who need a lot of help these days, the Chaldean Christians, the Yazidis. Wow. Um, well, there's much, much more on the positive side with Trump. And uh, with, with Hillary, she would accelerate the refugees coming into the United States, and, and that's committing, in a way, demographic and cultural suicide, as they are doing in Europe today, Sean. Who would be better on protecting our Second Amendment rights, Hillary or Trump? Hillary would take them administratively, and Donald Trump would defend them aggressively, even though he's more of a golfer than a shooter, but those two boys are shooters. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah. All right. So then let me (laughs) ask you this. So then you support why is Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, John Kasich and Lindsey Graham, who all made pledges that they would support the eventual nominee? What do you think about them breaking their word? Well, let's keep the door open to them. We're not to November. No, with all due and, respect, I'm not willing to keep the door open. You you make a pledge, you got to keep your word. I make promises to my kids, and you know what? Every promise I make, I pay very close attention to it because if I say I'm taking them to Disney, then I got to take them to Disney. If you say you're going to support the nominee, you got to support the nominee. Uh, well, yes, Sean, and there's there, but but I, I don't want to go down that path, sir. Because no, I, I do want to go down this path. Say. You know why I want to go down this path? Because yeah. there's a group of Republicans that are sabotaging, and that includes people that you know these pompous, arrogant, uh, know-it-all, think they're better and superior people that write for places like NRO. Although there's still people I like there, uh, and uh, the Weekly Standard, and Bill Crystal, and George Will, and and their radio and TV pundits, all the same thing. And you know what? I think that if they keep up their never-Trump thing because 
you know, we, we just went through a list of what Trump's punch list is. And you agreed with every item that he is running on. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, anybody that is sabotaging him, well, they own Hillary Clinton's Supreme Court nominees, any intrusion into our Second Amendment rights. Uh, if refugees come here and kill Americans, I would argue they're partly responsible. If the border is penetrated by ISIS, I'd say they're partly responsible. I say if education remains a disaster, they're partly responsible. If we're still dependent on countries that hate our guts for oil and energy, the lifeblood of our economy, I blame them too. Because they, for whatever reason, you know, Trump's words offend them so deeply. But, Sean, it is a shame to see the establishment wing, the entrenched wing of the Republican Party, uh, holding out. So then why are you giving giving these presidential candidates in particular that made that promise a pass? I'm not giving them a pass. Well... I'd have to, if I give you, if he gave you the reasons, I'd have to go down through the list of the transgressions that took place during the primary. Okay, I don't want to relive that. That's why, Sean. Well, I, I, don't, I don't want to relive, relive it that. either. But you know what? They're hurting the party nominee and somebody that is going to stop the decline because Hillary will continue these idiotic policies of Obama, and they're willing to stop this precipitous decline our country's in the middle well, of. And I'm a little pissed off. Well, what would, you, what would you have the presidential candidates, the ones who didn't win the nomination, and the Republican side, what would you have them do today? Keep their word and say, I endorse the nominee, I support the nominee who won, like Scott Walker told me in Wisconsin this week. And he said, I gave my word. And not only that, his, as I said, he said these weren't words. He said, I made a commitment, and I said, everybody up on this stage is better than Hillary Clinton, and they are, and I enthusiastically support Trump. I would have preferred myself, but I support Trump. I expect them to do what they should have done. Okay. Well, let's leave the door open to them then. Well, the, the damage is done, that. though, Congressman, now that they've already let it be known they really don't like him. So now they're just doing it for what? For their own political expediency oh. or their own political futures? And here's another question I have. What uh, these people, I assume, are going to want to run again themselves. Some of them are pretty young. How would I ever believe any of them if they promise, make a promise to us, knowing that a big commitment they made, they backed out of? And I'm not, I'm not going to go down into putting people into some of these shoes, but I'd say we've got a bigger problem, and that is the problem of the establishment wing, the K Street wing of the party, that are willing to hand this thing over to Hillary Clinton and the Democrats just to stay in power. Because you don't, don't want to go down this road because this is a little uncomfortable, this family discussion we're having. <laughs> well, I don't know when this program ends, so I don't know if I've got enough time to actually win the argument. No, you, you don't. That's why I don't want to you, you, you can't win the argument because, and I'll tell you why you can't sure win the I argument. Can. Because if they give a promise. But, but, Sean, here's what I can't do. I can't win the argument without being critical of Donald Trump, and I want to avoid that. Well, I mean, listen, I, if you're going to say that Trump was harsh. And uh, and and low energy Jeb and little Marco and Lion Ted and all of that stuff. Okay, I understand people got offended, but I also interviewed all of these guys, and they took the gloves off every one of them themselves. Also, so let's we can't act as though politics is not a blood sport because it's a blood sport. I can put together the list of this after the election, but I can't. I can't do this. Why, without criticizing Donald Trump, but don't, don't want to do that. But and don't we need to put? Don't these guys need to put the country above any personal petty grievance? Yes, and I want to have that chance to make that case to them, and I'd like to have that door open I, enough. I, that in my opinion, happen. it's too late. In my well, opinion, the, the damage is done. And, and by the way, we need John Kasich to be involved in Ohio. Yeah, John um, Kasich is my biggest disappointment, and John Kasich gave his word, and I'm shocked that he hasn't kept it. 
Well, I'd like to see him at the convention in Cleveland. When you're the host governor, you ought to be there. Yeah, and I think and, if Ted Cruz wasn't going to endorse, why did he take that spot on the stage? Well, that's that's an answer for November 10th, too, Sean. Uh, you, you know, I live you don't you don't like me. You don't like this. This is like a hard discussion, isn't it, for you? It's only hard because I don't want to. I don't want to damage the Trump campaign, and I don't want to hurt people that I think are decent. But right. I'm happy to talk about All it right. when the time is right, and I don't want to hurt the destiny of this country. When we come back, we have more on Hillary corruption. Congressman King, we still love you. Thank you for being with us. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. You can't have it both ways in this situation. The fact that these documents have been provided to Congress, sections are entirely blacked out. They have to be maintained in a secure facility known as the SCIFT. This really undercuts the Clinton campaign's insistence to this day that the documents are overclassified and that this is about government systems although, run although that is, I mean, don't, would you not be, would you not agree that in this city mm-hmm. a lot of stuff gets classified this that really is, shouldn't? Well, I, mean, I know from my own reporting that there was definitely intelligence about human sources in those emails. This is the kind of information that are, is among the government's most closely held secrets. And when you write about government sources or human in sources in these types of emails, you really put lives on the line. And this is why, to this day, the material is blacked out. You can't have it both ways. All right, there you have Greta Van Susteren from our show last night. Now, we still have so many questions regarding the Clinton, the fact that portions of the FBI investigation and investigative files are heavily redacted and must be held and read by lawmakers in a secure facility. By the way, when has this happened in the past? How many other times has this happened? Anyway, it just shows how classified the material remains despite claims made by the Clinton campaign. Now, why does Congress and many of them have top secret clearance? Why do they have to go to a special building? If after all, you know, the deleted emails are about yoga and about a wedding and a funeral and emails to Bill Clinton, who doesn't email some 33,000 of them, which was the lie, one of many lies that Hillary told us. I only use one device. Yeah, she used multiple devices. I never sent or received classified materials. Yeah, she did. And repeatedly lies. The campaign's call to release the FBI agent's notes appears suspect because the material's too highly classified to be made public. Well, if it's highly classified, then that raises questions again about James Comey. Let's play some of Hillary and her lies on this very topic. In a congressional hearing on July 7th, Director Comey directly contradicted what you had told the public. I had uh, not sent uh, classified material nor received anything uh, marked classified. Secretary Clinton said she never sent or received any classified information over her private email. Was that true? Our investigation found that there was classified information sent. So it was not true. That I am confident that I never sent nor received any information that was classified at the time it was sent and received. Secretary Clinton said there was nothing marked classified on her emails either sent or received. Was that true? That's not true. There were a small number of portion markings on, I think, three of the documents. I never sent um, classified uh, material on my email, and I never received any uh, that was marked classified. Secretary Clinton said, I did not email any classified material to anyone on my email. There is no classified material. Was that true? There was classified material emailed. People across the government knew that I used one device. Maybe it was... Uh, because I am not the most technically capable person and uh, wanted to make it as easy as possible. Secretary Clinton said she used just one device. Was that true? She used multiple devices during the four years uh, of her term as Secretary of State. But we turned over everything that was work-related, every single thing. 
personal stuff. We did not. I had no obligation to do so and did not. Secretary Clinton said all work-related emails were returned to the State Department. Was that true? No, we found work-related emails, thousands, that were not returned. All I can tell you is that when my attorneys conducted this exhaustive process, I did not participate. Secretary Clinton said her lawyers read every one of the emails and were overly inclusive. Did her lawyers read the email content individually? No. He directly contradicted what... Well, I... Let me just... just yeah. He not only directly contradicted what you said, he also said in that hearing that you were extremely careless and negligent. Well, Chris, I looked at the whole transcript of everything that was said, and what I believe is, number one, I made a mistake not using two different email addresses. I have said that, and I repeat it again today. It is certainly not anything that I ever would do again. I take classification seriously. I relied on and had every reason to rely on the judgments of the professionals with whom I worked. All right, joining us now to weigh in on that, we also have new information uh, that is causing the Clintons a huge new controversy as it relates to, relates to all this. I'll tell you about it in a second. Her first time in studio, Danielle McLaughlin, attorney. She says she's a constitutional expert, although I disagree with her a lot. Promise uh, you I am, Sean. Who co-wrote The Federalist Society, How conservatives took the law back from the liberals and jay Sekulow is the chief counsel for the american center for law and justice all right danielle my first question is a very simple one what we just heard was hillary clinton lying yes or no i'm not going to say yes and i'm not going to say no and this is why they you know everybody has an opportunity to change a story by to the way somehow... everybody turn around turn around and look at my staff they're all laughing they're laughing she first said that the, she didn't receive anything that was uh classified Mark she Clatt. altered that to not either marked classified and that was borne out by what she said both in the benghazi testimony no. and what uh, no. what comey said that's absolutely no. the case three portion markings so, so, of so emails that weren't even classified so you are you are of the case that when she said she used one device which was her excuse. And then Comey says she used multiple devices. Did she lie to us to get away from this? There's a difference between a lie and a misstatement. She used multiple devices over the course of her tenure as Secretary wow. of State, but only one at a time. She only used one you know, server. I, I honestly believe, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude here, but you're putting me in the position of being a little bit rude, and I don't want to be rude. But I, I, I think there are people like yourself that if I had a videotape, of Hillary Clinton at point-blank range, shooting somebody in the head. And I said, did Hillary shoot that person? You'd say, well, not exactly. You know, I wouldn't say that. And, you know, to see it is to obviously to admit that it's This true. is a clear-cut I... lie. She purposely yeah. lied to the American people. And I think, you know, if you can't see that, it, it tells me that your mind is clouded through a political prism. And that's, like, for example, I think Republicans in Washington are weak. They're timid. They're feckless. They're spineless. They're visionless. Okay? Now, I support them more than the Democrats. I'm more critical of them. I think it's right to be, to be critical I, of anybody honest, in a position but, of but power. But you have to have your first adherence to any principle has to be the truth. Right, but there's a and difference she between... She lied. There's a difference between truth and being wrong or a misstatement or the fact that you don't remember properly. And I think you're not cutting her enough slack. I think it's but easy to not, attack these her. These weren't misstatements. These weren't misstatements. This was... Here's the question. Did you send or receive classified material on your email? No, I did not. I never sent or received classified email. Is that 
statement true or false? It's false. And James Comey said, no, she did receive classified information on the email. By the way, only a small number of them were marked classified. But as you know, the legal definition up for uh, purposes of the State Department is you are obligated under the law to know if it is classified by the content of that material. And there was numerous material that was classified. We know it was significantly classified now, of course, because why? The FBI, when they send the notes over to the uh, Congress, redact so much of it, not send them over, but allow them to be viewed, redact so much of it, it, you can't even make sense of it. Jason Chaffetz said even with his high level of clearance, he could not have direct access to this, so they redacted so much. If there was so much redacted, of course it was classified material. That's number one. Number two, on the multiple devices, she said she never used multiple devices. I never used multiple devices, she said. Answer, she used four multiple devices. So you're trying to spin this. I I don't know why, Daniel, you're smart. Why would you spin this when you know, and everybody knows, and Hillary Clinton knows, and the Justice Department knows, that she lied under oath? Now, do I think that the Justice Department's going to do anything? No, because I think they're institutionally incapable of pursuing justice on this at this point but my goodness to to, to say that it's she didn't lie yeah go ahead but to say it's a mistake no a mistake is you know a mistake is i didn't capitalize a a a word in a sentence that should have been capitalized that's a mistake okay a mistake is not i left the word out okay i'm gonna give you i'm gonna response to that so number one she had thirty-three thousand emails you think it's possible she didn't remember three little c markings in the body of an email number one let me ask you daniel do you think in those 33 hold on you think if it's thirty-three thousand emails you think maybe she was a secretary state, some of those might be classified. I don't think they were all about yoga. Let me finish. I want also for listeners to know that not all of the uh, the tape that was rolled at the beginning was her under oath. And so what we're talking about is, did she lie? Did she intentionally lie? Is it perjury? My response looking at this as a lawyer is no. I think she made misstatements about whether they were marked or they weren't marked. You can call it a lie. You can call it What's a misstatement. A mis- what, will you give me a legal definition wrong. of the term misstatement? What is a misstatement? She Let's said look, something that it turned right out to be Black's wrong. Law Dictionary. What is a misstatement? I'm going to go back to my second point, Jay, which is these, these well, things mi- that were said. Please just let tell me, me what a misstatement. What is a misstatement? What is, Danielle, a misstatement? It's legally? not what an is int- a misstatement. It's an, so a lie is an intentional falsity, and a misstatement is an in, non-intentional falsity. You think that? You think that's the legal definition? Look, you go look at Blacks. I'm going to talk about this. The uh, the, yeah. the sworn testimony. Number one, she said nothing was marked classified or, or received under oath. That was true. She said that her team did not read. What? She said her team went through every email. They looked at header well, information. True. They used that keyword searching. True. That was the truth. Number three, she said she only had one server at the time she was at the Department of State. That's that server, is absolutely device. true. So you're, she, no, you're conflating server and device. She talked about a server. She never talked about an iPad, and she did have multiple devices. They were not used at the same time. Point number four, she said she provided all. You don't think she used the iPad? You don't think she used the iPad and her she was, BlackBerry she was at the same seen, time? She was seen carrying them at the same time. With all right. due respect, all right, let me right. bring up let me bring up something new here. Now yeah. there is a possibility that the Clinton Foundation they now h- hired a cyber firm. After suspected hacking, now we also know that Hillary Clinton swore and promised that she would not uh, be involved in the Clinton Foundation during her tenure as Secretary of State. That has been proven false and wrong as multiple big donors had access to her that the rest of us would never have. This could be interesting. Also, there's a story out today that Clinton Foundation advised the World Bank on contracts that netted donors millions and millions of dollars. And there's one other story today. With her now behind on January 5th, 2009, Hillary signed an agreement promising to avoid 
avoid any conflict of interest with the Clinton Foundation. She said, for the duration of my appointment as secretary, if I'm confirmed, I will not participate personally or substantively in any particular matter involving specific parties in which the Clinton Foundation or the Clinton Global Initiative is a party or represents a party. Now, last Tuesday, Judicial Watch released, what, close to 300 emails, and those emails from the State Department show a conflict of interest created by Hillary's actions as Secretary of State and bringing people, for example, emails sent to Doug Band, who was with the Clinton Foundation, and he's formerly with President Clinton, that they were passed up to Hillary Clinton by Uma Abedin and Cheryl Mills, and that it ended up in contracts, ending up with big money for big Clinton Foundation donors. So she didn't live up to that promise, Jay, did she? No, she did not. And that letter was on her uh, United States Senate letterhead when she was in the confirmation process. Not only did she not live up to it, but now you have the subsequent reports of the land transactions where there was a land deal with a Nigerian firm that was a major donor of the Clinton Foundation. Bill Clinton went down, viewed the land property. The State Department was in negotiations to acquire it from this Clinton donor. And this and the d- negotiations started 20 days after Hillary Clinton left the State Department. So uh, our friend James Rosen is reporting that. And the fact is that this is an, a pattern and practice of basically the State Department becoming an administrative arm of the Clinton Foundation. And that is the problem with the entire matter here. This is, there is no wall of separation between the two. You have Cheryl Mills interviewing for staff positions uh, at the Clinton Foundation while she was on the State Department. Some of these people being paid by both, including Huma Abedin. Who heard of, who allows this? When I was a Treasury lawyer, they didn't let me work for the Treasury and a law firm. I mean, it's not the way it worked. Your answer, Danielle? No, I think that people need to look into these, and I think there are potentially problems here. I think that there was some conflation, potentially. I think you also have to understand how Hillary ran the Department of State. She was very big, and she actually started a new uh, part of the part of the, uh, the agency relating to public-private partnerships. So reaching out to educational institutions, to universities, to businesses all around the world as an arm of the Department of State's soft power of their diplomacy. So inevitably, there may have been insti- uh, instances where there were some there was some kind of crossover. The idea that it was an intentional is something, Jay, that you're saying, but there is no proof of it. You said yourself it was 20 days after she left office, which could also well, no, suggest no, no, no. that she was Th- careful that's about they it. Were, well, now, now, Danielle, I mean, think about that, what you just said for a moment. 20 days after she leaves, do you think that this came out of nowhere? That it was just happenstance that the guy that owned this property that the State Department was looking to acquire just happened to be a major donor of the Clinton Foundation? I mean, the American people are not stupid, and we're not this stupid. And the Clintons think they can just do this, and apparently, evidently, they can because no one's going to hold them accountable. Maybe the ballot box in a couple months. But right now, it looks like they get away with this. But every day, it's something new, and I suspect there'll be more next week. Well, we'll see about that. I, you know, I can't comment to what's coming down the pike. We have no idea what's happening. But what I will say is that this public-private partnership was perfectly acceptable and perfectly legal, and frankly, she did an enormous amount of good. Danielle, she lied. I'm just helping you out here. <laughs> and you know what? You're 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 hanging. You're digging your own grave every time you you try and defend it and parse it and thread that needle and and ride that razor's edge. You're dying. You just she lied, and you know she lied. And you need to just come to grips with the fact that the person that you want to be president is a, a pathological congenital liar. Well, I could say the same thing about Donald Trump, frankly, Sean. No, give me one example where he lied. Uh, I, I, it's almost impossible to give you. No, only just one. one. I only want one. Okay, let me think. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Value of his properties on one hand for taxes, uh, his properties are worth. $500,000. It's a specific golf course, in fact, but under federal election uh, uh-huh. disclosures. Oh, I love the sound music, the, uh, the background music. It's actually uh-huh. worth, you know, $10 million. Mm-hmm. What is his net worth? I'm not really sure. Well, that, well, uh, that, we've uh, never right. How many times did he change We've got we to take, yeah, take a break. <laughs> anyway, thank you both. 800 941 Sean, you want to be a part of the program? 
Uh, I see Dr. Drew. Now, doesn't Dr. Drew work for CNN? I guess it was Headline News or whatever. It's their kind of sister networks, right? Well, I wonder if that little pipsqueak, Jeff Zucker's stenographer, uh, Brian, you know, unreliable liberal media matters sources, is paying attention to what his fellow colleague is saying. I'm sure he'll be reporting on the absolute horror that Dr. Drew, having not examined Hillary Clinton, has weighed in on her health. Anyway, Dr. Drew, by the way, is very well respected. I've met him a couple of times. I like him. He's a really nice guy. Very, very good guy. Anyway, he was on uh, McIntyre in the morning out in Los Angeles. Doug McIntyre's a good guy. I like him. And anyway, here's what he said. But the fact is, she released her medical records some time ago. And if you listen to my show last week, I just I just called a friend of mine, Dr. Robert Heisinger, who's an excellent internist pulmonologist, and we just dispassionately sat and evaluated the medical record that she had released. And based on the information that she has provided and her doctors have provided, we were gravely concerned, not just about her health care, not about her health, but her health care. Why? Well, it's, it's hard for people to understand. I mean, both of us can Concluded that if we were providing the care that she was receiving, we'd be ashamed to show up in the doctor's lounge. We'd be laughed out. It's, it's, she's receiving sort of 1950-level sort of care by our evaluation. So we, we took a look at her record, and here are the basic facts. She had two episodes of what's called deep venous thrombosis. Common problem, blood clots in the leg. She also has hypothyroidism. And she's been treated for hypothyroidism with something called armor thyroid, which is very unconventional and something that we used to use back in the 60s. And both he and I went, Hmm, that's weird. And by the way, wow, Arbor Thyroid sometimes has some weird side effects. Oh, well, okay. So she goes on Coumadin. That's weird uh, because Coumadin really isn't even used anymore. Now we use Eliquis or Xarelto, things like this. Certainly the, somebody, the presidential candidate, would get one of the newer anticoagulants. Then she mm. falls, hits her head, and as a complication of that has something called a transverse sinus thrombosis. This is an exceedingly rare clot. I've only seen one of these in my career, which is a clot in the collecting system for the cerebral spinal fluid. And it essentially guarantees that somebody has something wrong with their coagulation system. Well, she's had two clots, a transverse sinus thrombosis. What's wrong with her coagulation system? Has that been evaluated? And oh, by the way, armor thyroid associated rarely with hypercoagulability. So the very medicine the doctors are using may be causing this problem, and they're using an old-fashioned medicine to treat it. What is going on with her health care? It's bizarre. I got to tell you, look, maybe they have reasons, but at a distance, it looks bizarre. Wonder if she has Obamacare. Wow. Sounds horrible. 1950s treatment. I didn't even u- know that they used the anti they didn't use the anticoagulant Coumadin anymore. But yeah, I guess he raises some really relevant, very good points about the type of care she's getting. But that is almost the exact analysis that the Fox Medical Aid team guys raised as well. That there are other issues going on here. Hmm. Makes you question. Now, the question is, because you have media critics. I love media critics that are in the tank for Hillary. I love it. You know, because they said it was irresponsible of of doctors to weigh in on our health. I think we have a right to know. I think we have a right to know what Hillary said before all those Wall Street firms that were paying her big, big bucks for an hour's work and a speech. By the way, can you imagine how many years, ask yourself, all of you out there, if what, the average median household income is about 50 grand, somewhere in that area? Yeah, Hillary gets 250 or more, 225, 250 or more per speech. You know what the speech entails? All right, she has to get on a plane and fly somewhere. By the way, she demands a huge, massive gas guzzling or fuel guzzling private jet. So, you know, for her and first class tickets for her staff, they can't fly in the empty seats. Why would they allow that? Unbelievable. Now, we've had to charter planes for our trips, and what do we do when we do that? Everybody gets, there's an empty seat, we fill it. 
Nobody's going to travel commercial if I can put them in the in the bathroom seat, for crying out loud. We fit them in. No, I've never put you in the bathroom. Oh, shut up. You've never sat in the bathroom seat. Oh, stop it. Just stop it. The only one that we put in the bathroom was Beckel, and that was on one of the Freedom Concert tours. And yes, I paid for it myself. Good grief. So, you know, she gets a big plane, private, first class tickets. She gets the presidential suite. Now, typical speech takes an hour and then maybe a little Q&A if it's really long, but that's usually included in the hour. Gets the money, gets the private jet home, 250 grand. Wow. How long does most how long do most Americans have to work for that money? Now, if all these Wall Street firms, all these big banks and all these insurance companies, I've read the list right here on this program on the air. What did she say to them that made them want to pay again and again and again and again and again and again and again because they keep bringing her back? Oh, they're not expecting anything in return, I'm sure. Just like the Clinton Foundation donors, now we know through Judicial Watch that they literally got access to Hillary Clinton so that they can negotiate deals to make money. One case, a guy went and saw the Clintons, was a Clinton Foundation donor. He ended up wanting to meet the one of the top guys, I guess the president of Columbia. And then weeks later, after meeting Clinton and having dinner with the Clintons and this guy from Columbia, lo and behold, he gets the rights to chop down those trees and and get the lumber rights of Colombia. I'm sure it's just a mere coincidence. There's no quid pro quo there. Oh, no. You know what? Why is my mind so conspiratorial? How can I do that? You know, they go right through the Clinton Global Initiative straight to Uma Abedin and Cheryl Mills because they want to meet the former Lebanese ambassador. Oh, deals made right after that, too. Mere coincidence. It's not a big deal. Uh, she's not selling access to her office. But CNN now has a little bit of a moral dilemma. So what is the what is Jeff Zucker's stenographer, Brian Stelter, what is he going to do when somebody in his own family is raising questions about Hillary Hillary's health when it was so wrong of me to do so? What's the other thing that he, he doesn't like that I do? I don't know. <laughs> do we really care? By the way, this is a big shock. I got calls yesterday. One was the New York Times, apparently. And I don't know, I guess BuzzFeed, one of those, whoever, they all hate me right now. And so they, they want to, they, here's the big surprise. Hannity supporting Trump. Wow. What is the relationship? I'm like, oh, you mean this is my 30th year in radio and every year I don't support the Democrat because I don't believe in socialism, statism, and I end up supporting even weak Republicans at times because they are a better alternative than than what Hillary is. I actually think Trump is a much stronger nationalist conservative, if you go through the agenda that I point out every day, than Bob Dole or John McCain ever dreamed of being. John McCain, Bob Dole would never build a wall. They would never bomb the living out of ISIS. You know, they wouldn't. I don't Republicans had control of the House and Senate. They didn't stop Obamacare. They didn't stop executive amnesty. You know, they're not they're not fighting to send education back to the states. They're not doing any of these things. They haven't pledged to fix the VA. They've had the power of the purse. They're not fixing the VA. They're not rebuilding our military. I think Trump is bolder than all of them put together. All right, let's get to our phones. Uh, let us say hi to Shane in Indiana. Shane, hi. How are you? Glad you called. Hi. I've been listening to you for a couple of weeks now, mm -hmm. and there are always things that you say that just seem wrong to me. Yeah, um, like, for example... Obamacare seems to be helping people to be able to have affordable health insurance. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with it, and yet you're always talking against mm -hmm. it. What, is the, what did Barack Obama promise when he sold you Obamacare? Do you remember what he said, the exact things he promised? I'll help you out. He promised that you'd keep your doctor. 
You'd keep your care, and on average, the average American family would save $2,400, $2,500, $2,400 per year per family, right? Yeah, sounds about right. You want me to play it for you? I'll, I don't want it to be about right. I want it to be exactly right. When you hear about the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, and I, and I don't mind the name because I really do care. A system where we're going to work with your employers to lower your premiums by up to $2,500 per family per year. Add it all up. And the plan I'm proposing will cost around $900 billion over 10 years. We will start by reducing premiums by as much as $2,500 per family. There are also those who claim that our reform efforts would ensure illegal immigrants. This, too, is false. Here's what change is saying to people who are. All right, let's stop there. Illegal immigrants were pushed in the plan. People, millions lost their plans. Millions lost their doctors. On average, health care costs under Obama has gone up $4,100 for a family. That is a huge, massive cost increase for them. Yeah, nobody, sa- nobody saved $2,400 a year. Now you've got United Healthcare. You've got Blue Cross California now around the country elsewhere. And Aetna, they want no part of it. They're done. They're out of it. So but now— It also helps people with low incomes mm-hmm. and that are below the poverty line. But we already helped them. It was called Medicare— and, and the states have their own systems, Medicaid. Yeah, and because of Obamacare, anybody... You see, but you don't want to hear this, do you? You're not listening to me. because And you've got to turn your radio down in the background. You're not listening, and this is why you're not listening, because you want to believe what you want to believe. Millions lost their doctors, lost their plans. The top insurers are getting out. It's cost the American people a fortune, uh, and everything that they promised has turned out to be a lie. I'm not saying that I'm for the Democrat. Because I'm not. No, you're not listening to me. I didn't ask you if you're for the Democrat. I'm saying everything you were promised turned out, everything you were promised turned out to be a lie. But there's nothing wrong with having two Democrats in a row to help people with this uh, insurance now that they have it. Okay, you're not listening to me. They're paying more than they were told. They're paying, and every single place, for example, Aetna, out of 11 states now, United pulling out of Obamacare completely. Now you've got Blue Cross pulling out in California and elsewhere, and you're having people pay more. People forced into exchanges with doctors that they want to use that they can't use. And people like you are defending it. So I don't know what to say to you, except that if you like being lied to, then vote for Hillary, because you're going to get a really good liar. I'm not going to vote for Hillary, but she does seem to have a lot of experience. Yeah. But all right, all right, all right, all right. Let me, let me, let me give you the test, okay? You're probably going to vote for Hillary. Name me three things Hillary Clinton, with all of her experience, has done to improve the lives of the average American. Go. She was working for health and for health care even when she got back on uh, into the White stop, House. Stop, as stop, first stop, lady. stop. Hillary Care failed. I said three specific things she accomplished that made the lives of Americans better. Go. I can't think of any. Checkmate. Thank you. Brian in Pennsylvania, Sean Hannity Show. How are you? Hi, Sean. Doing good today. And yourself? I'm good. What's going on? Good, good. Hey, I'm a long-time listener, and I just wanted to say last night your show on Fox at 10 o'clock, uh, our time, had to be one of the best shows you ever did. Your guest panel was awesome. Donald Trump was, was great, and I just wanted to let you know that that was one of the most uh, impressive shows that I've seen you have in a long well, time. Well, I can't it announce it yet, but we have something huge 
huge if you're Donald Trump next week. Okay. Great. So That's if awesome. you like if you like what we did this week, you're gonna love what we do next week. I mean, love it. Okay. I can't say anything. You know why? Because there are a bunch of copycats all over this business of mine, and they have no ability to think outside the box on their own and come up with their own ideas. So they steal mine. So anyway, tune in. We'll let you know as soon as we can. Sandra is in Nebraska next. Hey, Sandra, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for taking my call. What's going on? So I went to a town hall on Monday with Ben Sass. Oh, Ben Sass, the never Trumper himself. You know, he had so much hope and potential. How'd yeah, it go? We were so well. It was just difficult. He said right at the start, "I'm here to talk about constituent services, not politics." The audience really pressed him about voting, giving away basically a vote for Hillary by not voting for Trump. And, and oh, exactly and people, what Sean Hannity said. I said yeah. that way back when. And he, yeah. came, I'm at CPAC. I was talking to Glenn Beck who's talking trash about me a lot now lately. Poor Glenn. He's lost. Uh, But anyway, you know, so he comes running up to me, gets in my grill, and I'm like, who are you? I I didn't even know who the guy was. You lied about me on the radio. You said to the people in Nebraska, I'm voting for Hillary. I said, no, I never said that. I said, you not voting for Trump would be a half a vote for Hillary if Trump wins. Or more than half. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you. Because of his leadership. But he said something I thought maybe you, with your connections, can follow up. He said Trump has a secret list or another list of Supreme Court nominees that he uses when he's talking to liberal groups. And I tried to get that list afterwards. I talked to one of his aides, and she just said, no, I can't get involved in politics. I'm I'm going to tell you straight up, I think he's lying. I don't believe that for a minute. That's like slander. And if he, I, mean, I think if he has that list, he needs to tell us what it is. Otherwise, he needs to shut up. Right. And you know what? Ben Sass, if if Hillary wins, I'm blaming people like Senator Ben Sass for Hillary's appointment to the Supreme Court, for America not being energy independent, for our net, a failed education system that is beholden to the NEA. I will blame him for not having a wall built up to protect our economy and national security. I will also blame him for Obamacare staying in place and, and electing a president that is going to chip away at our Second Amendment rights and can't even say radical Islam. He will be partly responsible. Those saboteurs of Trump, like Ben Sass, they will be held accountable for Hillary if she wins. That's it. I'm 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 just calling it like I see it. Anyway, eight hundred nine four one Sean. You want to be a part of this extravaganza? More than a movie is back with season two. I'm your host Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 